Hello, and welcome to MGMA Small Talk, where we discuss issues facing practice administrators across the healthcare world. I'm Shannon Geis, staff writer and editor at MGMA, and today I'm speaking with Nick Fabrizio, a principal consultant with the MGMA Healthcare Consulting Group. He has more than 20 years of practice management and health system experience in private physician and large medical group practices. Nick recently wrote an article for the September issue of MGMA Connection magazine about medical office design, and he's here with us today to talk a little bit more about how you can be thinking about your practice's floor plan differently. Uh, So thank you, uh, Nick, for joining us. Hi, Shannon. Thanks for having me. Um, So first, just so we can kind of set the stage a little bit, what what are some of the most common sort of setups for a medical um, office? What do those? What does a medical office typically look like? When you think, when, I think we all have sort of an image in our minds, but if we can just kind of lay out what we're start our, our starting point, I think that'd be great. Oh, that sounds fine. Um, what I'd say, and this is both, I'm going to answer this question both as a as a patient and as a consultant. Uh, I think we all have the frame of reference as a patient. We've all been to our doctor's offices, both primary care and specialty care. Um, I've got the I've had the added uh, pleasure of uh, being an MGMA consultant and visiting hundreds of practices. So so I get to see what everyone else is seeing. Um, time is a factor of uh, maybe 100. Mm-hmm. Um, in any event, some of the practices that we typically see, both as a patient and as a consultant, is is walking into a medical practice and finding staff behind glass walls. That's after maybe having a hard time finding a parking space or parking in a garage or parking a great deal from a, of distance away from the office. Um, but we usually walk into an office finding staff busy at their desk, working, uh, hidden behind glass dividers, and then we check in. We present ourselves at the, at the front, front desk, wait for the, the glasses to be, the, the glass wall to be, be slidden, we give them our name, we sit back down, and then the process begins. And, and, and that's really our entry point into uh, a medical office. And then from there, it's, you know, the glass slides again. Maybe we have to go back up to the counter, give more information. Maybe we pay our copay. We're brought back into oftentimes a very cramped, sometimes a chaotic environment where we just go through the steps of being seen as a patient, going to various checkpoints, maybe one area to get weighed, maybe a different area to get our vitals taken, um, then maybe into an exam room where various people come and visit us, and then we leave the exam room to go to another area that maybe we check out, schedule a follow-up appointment, and finally leave. And, and that's sort of the process of a patient going through a typical medical office. Right. And so what are some of the maybe pitfalls of that sort of setup? What have you seen that maybe where are some of the the choke points or bottlenecks in that process that that are that are built out of that design? Well, a, a couple things. One from a patient standpoint uh, or a consumer standpoint, the inefficiency of the system and maybe of uh, the office and the and and um, the unfriendliness of the office. So 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 as a patient um, what do we look for to be greeted, have a happy staff, be called by our name, and then as quickly as possible, as quickly as our appointment time, be brought into an, a, a clinical exam room where we are um, uh, greeted by clinical personnel who are ready to solve our problems or hopefully solve our problems. 
The other side of that is from the office standpoint, usually what they suffer from is a lack of clinical exam rooms. And that is one of the primary reasons why things get bottled up and patients often sit in waiting rooms and other staging areas in the office waiting to be brought into an exam room. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so what are some of the things um, that um, maybe practice administrators should be thinking about if they are if they want to shake up that that design, if they want to be thinking about how to do uh, how to build out their office in a more um, friendly, conducive way? Well, what I always uh, tell administrators is try to put yourself in the patient standpoint. So so go sit in the waiting room and pretend you're a patient. And this is a much different experience in our own office oftentimes than it is going to our regular doctor's office. So, so think of the patient and think of us going into other different office settings uh, outside of healthcare. What do we like? We like to be, we like to be greeted by staff um, uh, with the shortest delay if possible. Uh, we like to be called by name. We like to sit down in a comfortable table, in a comfortable area. Maybe there's a TV. Nowadays, hopefully there's free Wi-Fi. Um, and, and then brought into the room uh, where it's clean, comfortable, and we can, we can start our, our, uh, our exam. Uh, at least the provider can start their exam on, on the patient. So I always suggest that administrators kind of walk in the shoes of a patient and try to iron out some of the bugs when they can. Hopefully, if they're redesigning their space, it's a perfect opportunity. And certainly, if they're building new space, it's an ideal opportunity. Because one of the things that I see practices when given the chance, when they are remodeling, doing a major renovation, or moving, they often take much of what they've done before with their current offices Mm -hmm. and just duplicate it. Um, And that's the perfect opportunity to make changes. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about why you think it's so important to be put, putting yourself in the patient's shoes um, in, in thinking about the design. Because I think maybe sometimes we think, oh, well, why wouldn't we design this for the, uh, in the best way for our physicians or um, for our staff? Why are we thinking about what uh, the patient's um, experience in particular? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, what I, when I do my time and motion studies in, in offices, when this is tracking patients and where they wait and how long it takes them to wait throughout the, the, the exam cycle, the cycle time of the, of the visit, oftentimes when we're designing space, when we're looking at space, we, we do exactly what you said, is, is we create areas because we think it works best. And that n- is not necessarily what, what is best for the patient. So as an example, oftentimes we'll create um, some great areas for the staff. We'll have an extra large staff break room. We'll have a conference room. Uh, Every provider will have their own private office. And yet each provider seeing patients will have two dedicated exam rooms for them. Um, And that's, let's say, if they're a practice of, of five providers, they'll have 10 exam rooms. Um, and that might be enough for that, that five providers, especially if they're seeing patients at the same time. And maybe it's better if only three of them are seeing uh, patients at any given time. But the problem is if they then go and recruit their sixth, seventh, eighth um, new provider, in that case that I talked about, and they have 10 providers, their 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th provider, then they all of a sudden don't have enough exam rooms. And, and that's one of the problems that I see is, is, is they have just outgrown their space 
And the only thing that happens is that patients just get backlogged and they have to wait in other areas of the office and that just decreases um, uh, the cycle time. So while they still have private offices, there's still a nice conference room, there's a nice break room, uh, what they really need is more more clinical space. Interesting. Okay, that's great. Um, and so I think you've already started to allude to this a little bit, but what are some of the spaces that you think are most often wasted um, in a medical practice? What are the spaces that aren't being utilized to their their fullest extent? Yeah, so so I think I think um, uh, number one, two, and three on the list are private offices. I've been to countless offices where, um, let, let's just take a five provider office. Uh, each physician or provider has their own private office um, and, and they dedicate two exam rooms per provider. Um, so they have just two exam rooms provider and they each have their own office. And when you do a study on the utilization of those private offices, you often find that 95% of the time or more, those offices are idle. Um, so number one, they don't produce any revenue generating activities. They're a nice place to go to catch up on work, but nowadays with the EHR, most physicians are completing their charts in the room, outside the room, maybe in the, in the, in the, uh, the provider nurse workstation area, maybe at nurse triage but very rarely are they doing a lot of work back in their office. They may take a phone call or two. So while it's great that there may be these private offices, but if there's five providers, each with their own office, that's just about 500. If you include some common areas, the walls and doors and halls, there's probably more than 600 square feet of space that's empty and idle that can't be dedicated to, to patient care. And, and that's where I see practices getting in the most, um, getting in the most trouble. So, so what do I recommend uh, uh, as an alternative to that? And I've, I've worked in some offices that do this and, and residency programs do a great job of this and they have a, a common area. So one larger room uh, where there's, um, privacy dividers that physicians can go and, and talk and often um, uh, talk to each other, talk about cases, just like they did in residency uh, programs. And, and when they're in these spaces, they often have a better time um, and, and get to know one, one, one another more than they can when they're in private offices. And, and still, if, if a private office is desired, you can have one office that's dedicated for private phone conversations or to, or, or, or to catch up on work. But but in a, in a practice that doesn't have a lot of space, where space is at a premium, where they need to expand, maybe they currently can't dedicate three exam rooms per provider, and that's what I recommend. Every provider to be most efficient should work out of three exam rooms um, per provider. Those private offices may be the perfect opportunity to redesign space or on the front end, if you're building space, not build it out to begin with to make your offices most efficient. Sure. Um, so uh, for a practice administrator who wants to um, get rid of these private spaces, private offices, but has maybe uh, providers that are very attached to their private space, what are some of the ways that you would, would try to sell or, or, um, or um, convince a, a provider that maybe the private space isn't necessary? 
Well, you can do it financially. So, so you can you can you can make your case financially and and find your your non revenue producing space and your revenue producing space. And I think if administrators do this, uh, providers, especially in private practices, when they're the ones who are paying for this space, um, it, it's coming out of out of their hide, so to speak. Um, they're often surprised to see how much space is really dedicated to, to, to revenue-producing activities, i.e. clinical exam rooms. Um, so oftentimes, the numbers speak for themselves. Other times, uh, providers may have to go visit another office that has this common area. Um, and certainly, um, the generation that's coming into healthcare today they are less used to having private areas and private offices, and they kind of work uh, in the office and finish up their work there or take it to another common area. So in my experience, it's not a, as, as, as big a deal to them uh, as it is to, to other physicians, but, but it's, it's, it's hardest when you have an office and maybe you have providers and they've all had their private exam rooms for 10 years, going from that model to now not having it um, is a, is a, is a big change. So it, it takes some time, both sh making your case financially, uh, sh maybe a site visit to other offices often, uh, w would be helpful for an administrator trying to make their case. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. Um, and so how do you think, um, a better office design can help a uh, practice, uh, provide better patient care or care coordination? Well, I think it's it, it it's it starts at the beginning. It's it's about how what do you have the patient's best interest in mind, and if you do that as the starting point, that really helps redesigning some of the space. So you say to yourself, when the patient comes in, how do I want to minimize the amount of time that they've got to spend in this general area that's called our waiting room? How do, how can I minimize the time that they have at the front desk? Is there a way I can collect that information even before they come into the office through my portal? Maybe I have kiosks that, uh, as soon as they walk in the door, where I can collect a lot of that information even before the patient feels that their visit has started. So oftentimes if the patient comes in and they're immediately busy doing something, that's entering information through the kiosk, or they've done it in advance in the portal, and they come in and maybe just sign in or are greeted by the check-in person. In their mind, they're not officially on the clock, that they're waiting until they sit down and start waiting. They feel like they're doing something, they're participating in the care, they're busy uh, entering information. Before they come in, sit down, they're not officially waiting. So if we can minimize that time uh, and, and get the patient into the exam room as quickly as possible, then it's in our benefit from an efficiency standpoint, and it's also uh, to our benefit from a customer satisfaction standpoint. That's great. And so um, for practices who um, don't really have the means to do a full redesign or they're not moving into a new space anytime soon, what are some of the things that they can start doing uh, to improve their spaces right now um, without that big investment? So one of the, I'll give you an example of a couple of the practices uh, that I was recently in, and, and, and we, we, we tried this, and it ended up working nicely. They liked it, but it involves redesigning the work. So part of that is what I discussed earlier, and that is how can we collect information from the patient 
before they actually walk in and we give them five forms to sit down in the waiting room and complete, which is going to take them 10 or 15 minutes. Then they have to come back up to the front desk. Then they sit back down again. Then they wait to be called. So kiosks, patient portals. What are the ways that we can minimize their time in that waiting room? And a couple of the practice that I worked with, soon as that, soon as the patient officially checked in and they collected the copay, uh, one of the offices I worked with collected the copay at check-in. Another uh, of the practices collected at checkout because what they did was, and this is this is the the, the point of um, of their redesign, was they got that patient immediately back into the clinical space where the nurse started collecting some information that was typically done by the check-in person. Um, and the, the, the providers also had scribes that were with them, but before the provider entered the room, the clinical person, nurse in this, in, 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 for this, these two practices, got the patient, had a laptop, had an EHR, began entering information, put their vitals in, updated their medication list, and they were then ready to be seen by the provider. So what they did was, when they did their time and motion study, took out about eight to nine minutes of time that the patient were, patients were normally waiting back in the waiting room to be called up. So they shifted the work. Uh, so again, the clinical staff had a little bit more administrative responsibilities do, to do, but it helped the cycle time, made them more efficient, actually helped the practice earn more money because they saw more patients. The patients were more satisfied. How did they know that? Because they did surveys. And the surveys told them that, but the but what they had in common was they had enough clinical exam rooms per provider. So each of these offices had three exam rooms per provider, so they could be efficient that way. So if you don't have three and you only have two, you can still do that and apply that principle. The key is though to have patients um, submit as much information as they can, complete as much information as they can before the visit or as soon as they walk in and then get them into the rooms, clinical exam rooms, as quickly as possible. And that, that alleviate, alleviates a lot of that front desk waiting, confusion, um, and stockpiling of patients. That's great. Oh, and by the way, what the practice also did was the nurse gave them their follow-up appointments while they were still in the exam room. And that alleviated them having to go to check out another area to wait. So it freed up uh, it took the old checkout area almost right away in one of the examples. The other example was the other office, is, that's where they paid their copay. But in the one office um, that I mentioned, they completely took out the checkout procedure. So that saved more space, um, and they just made the visit much more efficient. That's great. Um, and you've already mentioned this a little bit, but um, with, with, uh, in regards to patient portals and some of these other things, but how do you think um, technology can help uh, redesign the 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 office space, how um, can we, can practices be using technology to their advantage in that regard? Well, I think a lot of the things that we, that we talked about. So, so one is making sure that you have areas for patients to complete information um, that, that can go directly into the EHR through your patient portal um, or through kiosks. Uh, two, you, ha you, you really need to have in this day and age free Wi-Fi for patients to come because that also helps cut down on their perception that they're waiting a long time. If you keep them busy where they're not watching a pre-recorded um, show on the practice TV, 
that 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 gives out the same information that's repeated time and time again or on the news and you let them um, use their phone or their laptops or their or their other um, gadgets with free Wi-Fi that certainly helps then the practice has to, to, to get as much technology up-to-date technology as possible so, so that's you know a good EHR system good patient portal and interface especially if they're an integrated delivery system and they're part of a hospital or health system to be connected to that other system is 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 a is a major advantage for them in terms of um, patient care and transmitting information electronically rather than um, papers and medical charts uh, and telephone calls going to, to go back and forth between offices we've covered a lot already is there anything else you'd want to mention or want people to be thinking about when they're considering the design of their office space only thing I would I would um, have a practice managers and administrators do is to calculate the square footage cost for their non-revenue space. That's exam rooms, common areas, um, you know, exits, emergency exits, stairways, common areas, hallways, because if they're paying for those, um, it's very expensive space, especially if they compare that non-revenue producing space with revenue producing space, they'll be surprised at um, uh, of the number of square feet that's dedicated to non-revenue producing space. Why that's important? Because if they're a tenant or they're paying rent, they're, they may be spending $20, $30 per square foot for rent. And if they're building, depending on the city that they're building, um, you know, they're, they're, it's very expensive to build uh, medical office space uh, from scratch. So that's the perfect time for them to be aware of how much space is dedicated to um, common areas, non-revenue producing areas, because in the end, they're paying for that, whether it's a private practice or part of a hospital and health system, they're paying for that space. So, so try to minimize non-revenue producing spaces as much as possible. Great. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. I appreciate it. Great. Thank you for having me. Uh, for more information about medical office design and to read Nick's article, visit mgma.org slash podcasts.